Hello everyone, Krista and Hannah here with a brief message before we start the episode. We are on the third season of Keys to Music Learning and we have loved every second. Talking about audiation-based piano instruction is a passion of ours, if you couldn't tell, and we thank you for listening and keeping us going. We recently launched the Keys to Music Learning community. Similar to Patreon, this is a way to support the podcast and access bonuses, such as opportunities to attend podcast recordings and monthly meetings so you can pick our brains with your questions, share your successes, and connect with other teachers. Become a silent partner for only $3 a month or, to access the bonuses, a friend of the podcast for $5 a month. Join today at musiclearningacademy.com slash keys to music learning community. The link will be in our show notes. Thank you all for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Keys to Music Learning. I'm Hannah Mayo of Hannah Mayo Music. And I'm Krista Yadro of Music Learning Academy. Join us as we discuss common goals and challenges in the piano studio and offer research-based ideas and solutions to guide every one of your students to reach their full musical potential with audiation. We have Paul Jensen back with us today, and we are going to talk more MM4P and more MLT. So, Paul, how has MLT been valuable for your piano teaching? And what do you think it brings to the table that maybe other piano approaches or methods don't? Well, um, it took me a while to understand, and I think I didn't understand it really until I went to my first um, PDLC, Professional Developmental Level course with Gimmel, where the distinction between a, a learning theory and a piano method was made to me. because this is maybe the first, it is the first time there has been a learning theory and then a method based on that learning theory. So far, we've only just had methods and that goes for every instrument that gets taught. What does that mean? Well, that that means that we have famous pedagogues and teachers and performers that are writing books based on their own experiences, which is significant experience for some of these people. These are, these are great musicians creating books on how to teach an instrument. But now for the piano, we have a piano method, which it's one amongst thousands of piano methods now, um, but it's the only one that's got a learning theory made with real research that Edwin Gordon did, has been doing, did from the 1950s until the, until the 2000s, basically. And that's, that's, a, that's a paradigm shift for, for um, music teachers. Could, could we actually apply the scientific method to find the most and best efficient way to teach music to people? And uh, if, you, if that is valuable to you, then you would want to, to understand the, the learning theory. And so that when you come in, in, in to teach with a, with a piano method, even if you're using another piano method, I suppose, if you understood music learning theory, you could take piano method other than music moves for piano and use audiation principles when you're doing that. But you don't have to now because 
a, a piano teacher, one of us, uh, took the time to apply everything that we already know about performing on the piano and doing what pianists have to do and turning that into a means by which we also learn how to use an audiation instrument, um, the, the audiation instrument inside your skull. So how does that, how is that good for my own teaching? Um, I, it, it'll, it gives me power over, uh, what happens to a student it allows me to react to the individual needs of a student. I don't have to go front to back in a book. I don't have to doggedly follow a, um, a, a set of steps. And, and even when, even when I think, hmm, this might be not appropriate for this student, keep doing it anyways, because, um, I don't know, I don't, I'm not the person who wrote this book. That's kind of the, the trap that happens in, in, uh, other, other methods is you're not the person who wrote the method. So you don't know where you can diverge from the method. And some, some teachers have figured this out. There's, there's a lot of uh, good advice out there when you're using a piano method that you should take ownership of it and you should make it do what it needs to do from your own personal experience. But it's, it's difficult to do that sort of thing uh, unless, you've got, unless you've got the backing of, of, a, of a learning theory. And that's, that's, what, um, that's what, what I come to rely on now. The, the method itself is, uh, is a guide. And the theory is is how we think about uh, how to provide and create the the situations necessary for a student to to flourish in your lessons. I often say that music moves the method makes me feel like I am being guided through uh, musical experiences and that my students are being guided through that. I think it's very like to the point your comments just now, because, you know, something will happen in a lesson and you've got this great guide who's giving you every last detail you need, but then, uh, you can go with the flow if you have that knowledge of the the theory and you can adapt to that particular student or that group of students. And it is, it, it's all those things. Yeah. I keep thinking also that, uh, even, even when, you know, when I first started teaching the method, and I knew it was a piano method, and I did not know there was a learning theory with research behind it, everything that I was seeing happening in the books was resonating with my own personal experience. Like, yeah, this, this makes a lot of sense now. Um, this is something that I can see what the, the out- outcome is hoping to be for this particular activity as we go forward. And then, you know, once you see something you value, you're like, wait a minute. Okay, so I we did this two weeks ago. We did this other activity. These two seem to be linked. Hey, wait a minute. There seems to be a progression going on here. And then you start going further into the books. Uh, I think at that point, I would have ordered book two, book three, book four, and started, wait a minute. This is getting really deep. Whoa. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're like, okay, now, now you're having a lot more confidence in what's going to happen, even though you're starting with a song called Popcorn. And that was that was uh, that that made me feel better about it, and it also made me um, realize that a lot of the successes that I myself had learning how to be a musician as a young person, I was learning in this way as well. But I, the circumstances had conspired to make me successful at it, and this piano method is something that 
takes the makes the audacious claim that we can try to arrange things so that we don't have just have the lucky kids, the kids with with pianists for parents, the kids with uh, with uh, musicians for parents, be successful in music. These other these other students can come into a piano studio that teaches this way and come out successful in the end um, because they they have all of these other skills, these audiation skills that all musicians, all successful musicians audiate. And um, the, the chances of somebody who doesn't come from a musical background becoming a musician or becoming a person with a musical life uh, are just much higher than. That is so true. It's a... That kind of brings us back to the whole music aptitude. Everybody's born with certain types and amounts of music aptitude, and we all have something to bring to the table as long as we could just get the right acculturation and if we could just get enough of uh, the learning sequence and we could do it the way we're meant to learn music, then you know the, the world would be a different place. So I say we're changing the world one piano teacher at a time. <laughs> <laughs> And you just described exactly my sentiments about that statement. We think alike. Yeah, oh, definitely. So, Paul, I've heard you talk about the piano as the composer's instrument. And could you tell us about that and what you mean by that? And then also how you think music moves for piano and audiation support that? That's a hard one to distill. But we can start by uh, taking keyboard instruments in general and just asking, how is this instrument different from the other ones? The other ones are, you know, the instruments of the orchestra, the instruments of various ensembles that uh, form a whole, a collection of instruments forming a whole that that uh, give us uh, a, a color palette to create music with. And, and each of these instruments has their own role in it. You know, we've got an oboe now that's a very bright instrument that's for melody making. We've got, we've got a viola, which is a very mellow instrument that's for, for harmony and, and, and texture and all of this stuff. What is the piano supposed to do? The piano is not an orchestral instrument. Sure. It shows up in orchestral scores. You know, it shows up in a lot of music where the composer wrote, a symphony, usually in the 20th century, where they play the piano. The composer wanted to play the piano in the orchestra, so he wrote a piano part in it. But the piano doesn't really need to be there. I come across a lot of that kind of stuff. So why? What? what's the point of having a piano? Uh, well, the keyboard instruments are, for the past 300 years, the means by which music is created. And there was music being created before keyboard instruments, but as music became more and more complicated, it became more and more necessary for a person to be able to command all of the voices of the orchestra in some way, shape, or form so they could conceive of their music. And that has been the piano. So what does that mean? That means that uh, for a piano teacher to, to teach only the repertoire that has been made for the piano already, as we might teach orchestral repertoire to a violinist, we're missing the point. The point is to have skills on this instrument to turn you into somebody who makes your own music. Uh, that's the whole purpose of the piano in the first place. I feel like the 21st century piano teacher needs to, needs to own that. That's, that's our niche. If we're trying to 
leverage the piano into something that's going to turn a person into a creative artist at any level, whether it means playing a folk tune at grandma's house for a sing-along, or it means writing a symphony, you know, to, for Carnegie Hall, I think uh, that's, that's, that's what we've got. That's our role in society as piano teachers. And right now, this is, this is the method that does it. It does it in a very, very deep way, in a comprehensive way that anyone of any age could benefit from. Yeah. And I think just from my own personal experience, you know, I'm not going to probably, I'm not going to say for sure, but I'm probably not going to become the next great composer. But having gone through all of these different improvisation and um, composition steps with my students has at the very least given me a fuller understanding of how music is made. Like what are the parts that go into making music happen? And even though I might not be the greatest composer or the next big Beethoven, then that doesn't mean that I can't use that um, information and that skill of composing and improvising and using the piano for uh, all of these different purposes, both cultural and familial and musical. And uh, it, it just gives you a fuller understanding. So let's bring it back to the piano studio and your students. Can you tell us how you introduce Music Moves for Piano to your students? Um, I, I wouldn't say I make any kind of formal introduction. Um, this is, uh, well, okay, put it this way. Um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Gordon said that the music teacher needs to embody the music. Um, and even if he didn't say it, that's one of the things that I try to do as a teacher now. Uh, what does that mean? That means that that even though, yes, I'm, I'm putting a lesson book uh, in front of the student and I'm uh, creating a, a lesson structure and a, um, having content ready for the student in the lesson, I'm, I'm there to be the music. I feel like when I'm in a piano lesson these days, I'm a performer. Uh, I'm performing for uh, an audience of one or two or four, depending on the situation. And that means that not only am I teaching them, hey, you know, this is, this is, you know, we're teaching them how to audiate, we're teaching them how to play the piano, we're giving them keyboard skills, we're learning uh, how to create and stuff like that. I'm, I'm also just showing them how to be a musician. You go, you share your music with others. And I'm going to share this music with you right now. And the more you do that, uh, you're just being a musical role model for that student at that point. And that could be expanded, you know, if you're a performer and you've got performing venues, like uh, what are the other ways that a, that a piano teacher might go out and perform? They might be a pianist at a church, which I am, um, which means I'm, I'm playing for a, for a live audience on a weekly basis if I play at a church. Uh, you, you, might be the, you might be a choir director at a school or you might be a band director. And, you know, those are all performing venues, basically, where you're performing for people, or you might have, you might have some other even loftier performance career going on that that's, that's understood. That's not a, that's not a music moves or a music learning theory thing either. Other teachers understand that we've got, we've got symphony members who are teaching studios and they, they have recitals con chamber music recitals and they bring their teeth, their students in. That's acculturation that's happening. So they know that's what's going on with that. 
But I feel like that needs to be brought into the studio as well during the lesson to be a performer there. I just want to tell you that I feel the same way. I've said this many times before that I I felt more like a, a performer once I started teaching this way because I was the one who had to embody the music. I, I wasn't just relying on this machine that made sound to get me through a lesson. I had to rely on my own voice and my own body and my own chanting and my own sense of pulse and my own, you know, whether I could sing in tune or not, you know, I had to be so aware and you really are performing. Talk about a way to, uh, through teaching, turn yourself into a better performer. Well, there's step one right there. Now you're performing every lesson. It's just, it's like you're at a nightclub and you've got to keep it going all the time. So we, we got to keep this, this stuff going. So that's really going to give you performance chops. Mm-hmm. Seriously, real performance chops. That, the idea of flow, like you just keep flowing. You just don't stop. <laughs> you just keep flowing. <laughs> yeah. And did you ever, Paul, have students or parents of students that were skeptical of this approach? And if you did, how did you handle that? I do. It's it's more been um, just I get I get confidence from the parents, and I suppose um, I have to pay more attention to how I do that. I do when I first make contact with a family, say they're interested in lessons. I've gotten a lead somehow, and I I contact them usually through an email. I I make it very very simple, and I'm almost being kind of sneaky when I say this, but I, I'm, I'm going to teach your child how, uh, teach them how to play the piano, and I'm going to teach them how to audiate. If you just say that, and maybe in the email, I'll link the word audiate to a description of audiation from gimmel.org. Maybe they'll follow the link or maybe not, but maybe they know what audiation is or maybe not. That, is, that right there is my offer to them. Now, if they don't understand what I said and, and I start teaching in the way that I teach and they're like, okay, we're, so this isn't what I thought it was going to be, um, I haven't heard a whole lot of that yet. But occasionally there's pressure like, okay, so they want to they play this piece of repertoire, for example. Um, there's definitely a lot of uh, motivation to play all of the wondrous. The piano has the largest solo piano, solo repertoire of any instrument. There's so much piano music out there that uh, you could spend a lifetime learning it and only get through half of it. And uh, parents that sign their kids up for piano lessons know this. Okay, this is, they picked piano specifically for that. And uh, we understand that. And maybe there's pressure coming at some point in the piano lesson process. Okay, when are they going to, when are they going to learn for Elise or when are they going to learn the Moonlight Sonata or Claire de Lune or any of this other great stuff. And if, if I do that, that first contact correctly and then follow up, the follow-up afterwards is also kind of a, I want to call it a deflection. It's a redirection though. Okay. I'm emailing them and I'm telling them all of these great things that the student is doing. And the things that I'm talking about are today I played something out of the blue for them and they sang it right back to me like they had never heard it before and they just sang it to me and that was something that I was thinking about having them do you know four months ago when they started piano lessons now they can do it that's a huge success 
that was that would be something very basic that I could just send feedback to the parent about what's going on. Even then, when I'm involving the parent in uh, the the question, okay, what 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 do we practice? Okay, uh, we've got um, we have content that we've done in the lesson. Then the student goes home for a week, and what do they do for that week? If you're providing a plan for how to prepare for your next piano lesson and it's very consistent and it looks progressive even though it might be recordings to listen to which is probably not expected but yep, here's recording track one listen to this one this week next week track two and you keep going here's a song to sing you're going to have to sing this with me next lesson have this ready for me uh, we send it out and the lesson we uh, study the song together and then the following week they get another song that sort of progression, even though it's not really what they expected, is going to allow you to continue doing what you need to do before the hard questions of when am I going to play Claire de Lune come up, right? Maybe by the time that question comes up, the student might be ready to play Claire de Lune. Who knows? But it, if you're providing content, I think that's, that in and of itself is a way to overcome any kind of uh, questions or skepticism that you might get from family. Yeah, and I think the longer we do this, just the more our confidence grows and we just teach in a way that is very um, organic and confident. And it, it then eventually you don't even really have to have these conversations anymore if, you're, if you just keep on the golden brick road. Well, Paul, you know, I think we were only going to have you for two episodes, but we got to go ahead and do three because I've got more to talk about with you. (laughs) So uh, join us. Thank you again. And join us for the next and final episode with Paul Jensen. Thank you, Paul. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you soon.